welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am so excited to be back with my amazing mentor and friend, Joanna Hunter. If you guys listened to the last episode, you know what an absolutely amazing conversation that was. And like, oh my God, multiple organ failure, like multiple six-figure businesses, everything going completely like, I don't know, like cattywampus. And here she is to tell the tale. So I didn't want to leave you guys like, you know, cliffhanging there and just being like, well, what happens next? And so I asked Joanna to come back so that we could have an ongoing conversation and hear about the sort of like we heard, you know, we got up to the peak of like the part of the story. Now we're going to hear about what happened next and how Joanna went from multiple organ failure to a thriving seven-figure business. So Joanna, welcome back. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to share the next part of the story because we we left off at quite a like what 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 we really did. I mean, we left we we kind of we left right at the point of pivot where you had just checked yourself out of the hospital. And I mean, we started to talk about connection. We started to talk about Skylar and and all of these things, but we kind of had left it like you had just you che- you had literally checked yourself out of the hospital without telling without Paul even knowing that you were in charge. You had told him that they'd let you go, and you made the decision that you were going to become your own rescue. And so, I'd really love to talk about like. What does becoming your own rescue look like, especially like what as an empath did you realize you, I guess, actually, I'm going to start with that question. What as an empath did you realize you needed to do differently in order to become your own rescue and in order to, for you to not find yourself back in the hospital with more multiple organ failure? I don't really know about being an empath in this situation, because I think, you know, empaths and non-empaths the conditioning is all the same you know and we are so conditioned to look outside of ourselves for the solutions you know like want to lose some weight drink this crap in a can you know want to like get rid of your headache or your cold pop these pills you know like we're always looking to this outside savior basically Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. thing outside of ourselves is going to save us in my decision to be my own rescue, and even before that, going on what I call my get selfish journey, I realized that, that the thing that I needed to do differently was self-lead, lead myself, you know, become a self-leader of my own life. Instead of sitting patiently waiting for the rescue, for the quick fix, for the thing that was going to sort out all out. You know, um, I remember before I kind of went on my get selfish journey, I would play the lottery. And that's a, a real place where a lot of people give their power away. Now, I actually happen to have a client who actually won the lottery. But still, there is this element of where we are hoping this outside source, aka the lottery, is going to come and literally fix all the ails us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are we playing the lottery from an empowered energy or do the majority of society play the lottery from a disempowered, hoping that this is going to be the fix, hoping that this is going to be the solution to all that ails us? Yes. Um, I personally was playing the lottery from a place of hoping that it would fix all my problems. Right, right, um, right. Which was all that was doing was reinforcing and re-impacting A, that I was not enough to do the job myself. Mm-hmm. B, that I wasn't the one that was going to do it. It had to come from an outside source. So the more that I believe that something is going to come from an outside source, 
the more I disconnect from myself and my own ability to do. And so I think the first realization was self-leadership, that Mm -hmm. no one was coming to save me. No one was coming to sort this for me. And if I wanted my life to improve, the buck stopped with me. Yes. And it's one of the most horrible, terrifying and liberating all in one little neat package of experience thinking exactly that that is like the worst news and the best news simultaneously because it's like that little kid who's in her crib who's like holding her arms up crying waiting for somebody to pick her up and take her out of the crib is like I'm going to be left here forever, but it's like, well, uh, actually you're big enough and strong enough to climb out of the crib yourself now. That's it. And, you know, realizing that if things were going to change my life, I was going to have to be the one to change it. And that was for me, that was huge. And I think, you know, whether you're an empath or not, um, but I think, you know, being an empath, um, you know, that condition is going to be same for whether you're an empath or, or not an empath. Mm. But I think the other thing that that is as an empath, you maybe feel that level of conditioning even deeper. Yes. Because yes. As other, other people are scrambling around doing the same thing, right? Like yes. looking for those outside solutions. So you become maybe as an empath more convinced that the solution is going to be outside of you and not inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, going on that journey and, you know, how I've translated that into sort of my language is it was the ownership of taking radical personal responsibility for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sucks. But in there is also your keys to freedom. Yes. Yes. So I want to just make a comment. You said something about winning the lottery and you reminded me of something that I was told when I was like, when I first started doing my own kind of getting my financial house in order and doing my own sort of deep, like money, prosperity, spirituality work, something that I was told that like hit me so hard then that it's still ringing my bell was that no amount of money, no sum, no lump sum of money is ever, ever, ever going to be enough to fix the problem. And that, you know, like you can win the lottery, but if you don't deal with your, if you don't deal with the core issue, which has to do with your relationship to the flow of the universe, basically, you're just, it's never going to be enough. And I just think that idea of like, instead of it being, I got to win the lottery so that I have enough money, that externalizing thing, as much as it's about like my, I need to change my relationship with flow in order to prosper and thrive. And that was just, as you were speaking about kind of the shift from buying the lottery ticket to being self-led, I was just thinking about how important it is to not be looking to the pill to be, you know, the, the lottery winnings, the romantic partner, whatever it is that we we think the quick fix, that's going to make it all better. Yeah. So totally. And I mean, this is why we have this phenomenon within the world of well-documented facts of people who actually win the lottery that within five years of receiving those huge lump sums of money, Many of them are broke and some of them are even worse off than they were before they won their money. And they're winning like exorbitant amounts of money. And yet it goes so quickly because the inner energy has not been healed. It's still very much out of alignment. It's very much in dissonance. And so the journey that I went on was a journey to begin to heal that inner energy Mm-hmm. Um, and in that journey, not only did I find my calling, but I also found myself. And, you know, and it felt like it felt like I was like some type of archaeologist or something. And I was just sifting off the layers of conditioning, of rubbish that I'd thought about myself, ideas that were not even my ideas. I just adopted them. I'd heard them from somewhere 
someone else and be like, oh yeah, well, this is just the way life is. And, you know, and I given those ideas a home and adopted them and then realized that actually, you know, they weren't doing me any favors whatsoever. And they weren't even my ideas in the first place. And there I was, you know, saying, you know, things like you got to work hard for money. Well, why was I saying that? Because I heard my parents say it. Right. And they probably heard their parents say it and back to the dawn of time. Um, And as I started to kind of sift through the debris of my very imploded life at that time because obviously multiple organ failure will shift you and shift things for you as I started to shift through that debris I started to feel a bit of like an archaeologist uncovering a great treasure and uncovering the truth of that treasure you know and it was it felt there was many times it felt a very exhilarating and very exciting journey in that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was times where it was dark night of the soul all the way and was so difficult. But then there was times where it felt like this great adventure of what will I discover today? What will I uncover today? Um, and as I kept going deeper and deeper, Skylar, my spirit team that I began to connect with deeper and deeper, they just started to share the most sublime, amazing, incredible insights and truths, like universal truths um, that resonate in my being so deeply. And I started to learn not only about myself, but I felt like I was starting to learn about the galaxy that I live in and the whole Mm -hmm. shebang, the whole setup of like how the energy works, how the universal laws work, how, you know, and I started to change this mindset of like the world is out to get me and it started to morph and transform and it was going through a metamorphosis where I started to realize the world has always been supporting me Mm, and it was so beautiful. What an, I just want to hold that up. What an amazing shift from the world is out to get me on one hand to the world has always been there supporting me. I can only imagine what it must have felt like on that day that that really landed and you suddenly could feel like, no, the world has always been supporting me. Yeah. I mean, there were so many things, so many gifts that were revealed and there was like many hardships that I'd gone through, like things going through things in my childhood and stuff like that. And suddenly I had this new lens in which to view life through And I started to see like, huh, and I could start to see dots connecting. You know, if I had not had challenges in my childhood, I would never, ever have sought a counseling for myself, you know, to actually receive that and to receive coaching and counseling myself. Had I not done that, I would never have found a calling within myself of that calling because I would never have had the need to hire a coach and because I would never have a need to hire a coach I would never go through my own healing journey get towards the end of that particular set of that journey and then go holy moly this is what I want to do for other people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and realize you know that that as I came full spiral that I now wish to and and this is why healed people heal Yes. Right, like healed people heal yes. because we know the effectiveness of the healing. And so, and the calling for healing others becomes so strong within you, it's almost impossible to ignore. And I used to see this in my life coaching clients all the time. I always knew when I was like, stick a fork in you, you are done. You know, you are ready now for the world. You're ready to take the world on again. And And I would always know because my client would say, you know, how do you get into becoming a coach? And that's when I would know that that calling, they were feeling that calling and that they had reached a certain level of healing within themselves, that they were now starting to think of a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Because when we're in that smaller energy of we're in pain, we're hurting, we might literally be physically hurting with things like multiple organ failure. Our worldview is very narrow very, very narrow. When our consciousness has risen, our consciousness has expanded when we start to think about a larger worldview that includes others. Yes, yes. And this is a huge thing. And this is why so many people, when they go through their healing journey, they get to the end of it and they think, man, I want to learn how to do this for someone else. At that point, that is a sign of an expanded consciousness. Yes, 
Yes. Because now they're thinking beyond their own four little walls. Well, and you know, I would actually, I would actually, I'm going to step out on a limb here and say something that in my travels, I have seen that the people who receive the experience, who thrive from the healing and then choose to give it back, to give it away, are the ones who have an ability to thrive. Whereas when somebody stays in that constantly like working on themselves, but not necessarily being able to go out into the world and give it back to the world, I think that they actually kind of like kind of get sort of stopped. It's kind of like stopping at high school as opposed to moving forward. And Mm. the people who I think really thrive in the world are the ones who do have that ability to expand into the greater vision, the greater picture. But I do think some of it is also about just the choice to say, you know what? I've received this amazing gift. Now I'm willing to give it back. Now I'm, you know, like, like the rest of my life is about giving back. And what I've seen is those of us who choose to give back are the ones who get to thrive in a way that the people who keep on trying to, I don't know, like just sort of like take care of themselves. Sometimes it seems like they end up spinning their wheels a lot more. At least that's what I've noticed. I think there comes a point in the journey where the expansion becomes a natural next step. And I think some people ignore that next step and they're convinced that they need something else. And I think, you know, one of the dangers in doing the work on the self is that like energy attracts like energy. So sometimes, you know, I see this a lot in clients who are convinced they're blocked. They're like, Mm -hmm. I'm blocked, I'm blocked, I'm blocked. But, you know, Skylar teaches this really cool insight of like, the more that we look for the block, the more we manifest the block. Yes. You know, so there sometimes comes a point where the most loving thing, the kindest thing that we can do for ourselves is to actually to stop looking for the blocks. Yes. You know, because it's like, the looking for everything that is wrong with us is actually what's creating everything that is wrong with us, mm, <laughs> right? Mm, and mm. so it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy right. to a certain degree. And I think there it comes a point where, you know, I, I recognize this in my own journey that I started to see it manifesting as like the work was starting to feel like a chore. Mm-hmm. So instead of having the pleasure of doing my gratitude journal, it was the chore of doing my gratitude journaling, which, you know, that is now a cruel and unusual punishment as opposed to this is now actually benefiting me. Well, at that point, the gratitude practice is no longer benefiting you if it is this chore, if it is this cruel and unusual punishment that you're using And often what we do is it's a sneaky way for the ego to like sneak in the back door and be like, well, you're not good enough. You better do that gratitude journaling extra hard girlfriend because you're not enough. And so now instead of it being in the higher vibrations and the higher frequencies, we're doing a tool that is extremely effective at shifting the mindset if done from the right energy base. But now we are doing that tool from the wrong energy base. Yes. And that's the difficulty. Yes. I'm part of a, a prayer community where one of the things that is really encouraged is like, you don't keep praying for the same thing over and over and over again, you know, cycle after cycle after cycle, you choose to work on something that matters to you for the 54 day cycle. And then when you're done with it, you trust that you gave it to the universe, you asked our lady, our blessed mother to take care of it. And once you've done that, it's like it's like trust in the universe and it's fascinating to see how frequently as human beings we cling to our like we put it out to the universe and then we hold on to it we don't let it go and and so it's like i just it's interesting sort of witnessing certain people where it's like the petition or the request is the same they're working on the same request every single time and it's kind of like let it go. Let the universe respond. I, to I always say to people, display the same trust in the universe as you would display to the pizza man 
right? Yes. And people always go, what? And I said, well, if you phone up a pizza restaurant and you place an order for delivery, you are not phoning the pizza restaurant five minutes later going, are you making my order? Or like, are you sure? Have you got all the ingredients? You know, like you're not phoning up to check. You don't. And then after a little while, you think, well, I'm going to get in my car. That pizza hasn't arrived yet. Let me go and see what they're up to and doing. You know, like we're not like we order the pizza and we expect the pizza to arrive. Like, so we have faith that the pizza is going to arrive. So what we need to cultivate in the universe is the same faith that we have in pizza. And it's easy to order a pizza and know that it's going to come. We're not sitting there going, is it going to come? Is it not going to come? I don't know. You know. We're like, dude, I ordered it. And, you know, like even your kids might be like, hey, what's for dinner? Well, pizza's coming. Oh, okay. And it's like, end off. Like we have this total faith pizza is coming. But here's the thing, you know, when it comes to the universe, we do not have the same faith as we have in the pizza guy. The pizza guy gets more faith than the universe. Then in my humble opinion, our faith is misplaced. Yes. 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 (laughs) (laughs) because the universe is equally capable of delivering like the pizza guy right Right. so like why can't we just give it to the universe and be open I have this image of this stoner dude in an old pinto with a bunch of empty pizza boxes in the back of the in like the hatchback oh god I love that metaphor. I've thought of it similarly in terms of like, as it when you're a child and you just know that Santa Claus is going to come, that it's like, there's like, you know, you just know, you just know Santa's coming. Santa's going to come. And it's just a matter of time. And it's just a matter of time for the pizza to come. And yet you're, you know, I love this, that it's like, you know, we don't call the pizza guy and, and are we, like, don't hey, hey. we don't harass him. We don't harass him, but we, we don't harass check on him. We don't feel that pressure, that need to make sure that they're doing it right. We're like, right. we're like, dude, I placed the order. I gave the order. You know, now I'm expecting the delivery of order. I am now no longer in this like state of like nervousness. And I think that's what's happening is that people place this order to the universe and then get themselves in a tizzy. They get themselves in a state of nervousness. You know, like the universe is like some old man that's completely deaf in one ear. And did he hear you correctly? You know, like, dude. The universe knows you better than you know yourself. Like, of course they heard you correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, So, so, so good. Ah, Joanna. So we're talking about just really that tradition, you know, that shift from like really like looking at the world as if it's all out to get me to really thinking about like just knowing that the world has always been, has always had your back, has always, the universe has always had your back and that the universe has been conspiring to create the life that you want to live. And so it's out, and also just that radical, radical self-responsibility. So I actually wanted to unpack that a little bit because you were talking about, you know, part of being self-led was the willingness to really look at your stuff and to, you know, take radical responsibility. And I'm actually even imagining, like, as you were also talking about, stop looking for the blocks, like don't spend all of your time, like trying to find the problem. I'm wondering where that interface between taking radical responsibility and not necessarily just constantly looking for what's wrong with me. Does, does that make sense as a question? Like, yeah, there's certainly a, a subtle energy in which or a subtle line in which you need to toe. I think that the first thing is we're going to take radical personal responsibility so if we felt it it's ours I think that's the first key you know if we felt it is ours right so there's a lot of people who feel things and then don't allow themselves to feel the thing that they just felt right so they're like where are those banana nut muffins let me stuff that feeling down let me stuff that thing down like let me grab some wine and alcohol and like stuff that down even further and you know and we do that under acceptable ways to numb. Let me watch this really, really crap TV so I can zone out and numb out and things of like that. So I think the first stage in radical self-responsibility is if you felt it as yours, you know, mm. and you've got to acknowledge it. It's the acknowledgement of energy. Now, Skylar has an additional teaching to this that all energy just wishes to be acknowledged um, and it will persist until you acknowledge it. All energy 
just wishes to be acknowledged and it will persist until you acknowledge it. Like, I wish I, <laughs> I've been waiting. I have somebody who is a friend who crochets, crochets um, F-bombs and, and like, <laughs> you know, and I was just thinking I need to have them crochet like bombs that say F, but also I want to have somebody them crochet like a bomb that has the word truth written across it. Because if I had the crocheted bomb right now, I would be dropping it that says truth because, oh my God, Joanna, like, yes. Yes. That's huge, right? So once we understand that and we can we can look at something and and acknowledge it, but we don't have to adopt it as our truth, right? So we can be like, I always say like, always feel your feelings. But if the feelings are not feelings that you want, like depression or feeling down or feeling low, like for goodness sake, don't pitch a tent and say, well, this is where I live now. Right. You know, like allow yourself to acknowledge the feeling, allow yourself to live with the feeling, allow yourself to see the feeling, but you don't have to have that feeling as a permanent house guest. So let's actually, you know, the now it's empaths. Obviously, we were talking last time about the fact that empaths basically have broader, bigger receivers than the average bear. And often what's happening is the emotional signal that's coming from the universe that you know divine source is getting intercepted by the empath and they're receiving emotions that are not necessarily meant for them but coming to somebody you know coming to them so i'm wondering the you know in terms of this the idea of we need to acknowledge the feeling we need to you know sort of like be present with the feeling acknowledge the feeling and interestingly you didn't necessarily say feel the feeling you said acknowledge the feeling but i'm thinking you know that line of like as an empath and it's funny because i think the other side of it is that sometimes as empaths we're like that's not mine that's not mine and not owning the part of it that is but i guess my question to you right now the is, thing is here's the yeah. thing here's the thing you would never, ever have been able to intercept the signal if the signal did not already exist and originate in Resonate. you too, right? Because yes. like energy attracts like energy. Yes. There's this really cool story. It's a story of a native culture. So it's when I can't, and I really apologize whether it was the Incas or the Mayas, but when the conquistadors came from Spain, none of the peoples in, in that native lands, they'd never seen ships like that. So they looked out over the water and there was a big furore in the village because they could see something giant, like sweeping the water, but they couldn't see what was sweeping the water. So there's a story of this shaman and the shaman, he goes into the spirit world and he asks spirit what's in the water. And he's shown the ships of the conquistadors and he's shown the the conquistadors themselves. And he sees that they're just humans and he sees that they're just a type of boat, but no one has ever experienced this boat. No one has ever seen this boat. So after visiting the spirit world in his shamanic state, he comes back into his earth state again and he goes up and he touches the third eye of everybody in the village. And they now look out over the water and they can suddenly see the boats. Right. I love this story for so many reasons. I actually really, truly believe that this story is true. And I really believe that when something is not in our common psyche, as Mm -hmm. in our societal psyche, it will not even cross our consciousness to the point where we will not actually be able to physically see the manifestation of it. Yes. And this is it. So this is where Skylar says, like, if you felt it, acknowledge it, right? Like if you mm-hmm. felt it as yours, because there was something that within you that was on the vibration and the frequency off that allowed your super receiver to interrupt their signal in the first place. Mm-hmm. And this is where like a practice, like another native practice, uh, the native uh, practice of Huna, which is the ancient Hawaiian practice of Honoponopono, mm-hmm. of where we're clearing and cleaning energy that's not necessarily energy that we think is belonging to us, but it works on this principle that we are all one. Right. At a deep, deep inner level that we are all one. So working from this principle that we are all one, 
what HUNA does is it allows us to clear energy that we are perceiving in the outside world, even if we perceive that energy. And, you know, an amazing book on that is called Zero Limits. And, you know, the kind of book is about a man called Dr. Hugh Len, who was a psychiatrist that cleared an entire ward of the criminally insane without ever once setting foot on the ward. Mm-hmm. Um, by clearing the energy he looked at their files and he cleared that energy within him own self because he took such a level of radical personal responsibility that he realized if this crosses my consciousness is in me too and these people were in jail and they were judged by society as criminally insane but he was willing to t- look for what was criminally insane in him and clear mm-hmm. it. As he cleared that energy in himself, these people healed. He never once had a conversation with them. And this is the power of, you know, when I when I do like healing sessions, one of the things that I always want to acknowledge and thank is to thank my client for the willingness to do the healing. Because when we are willing to heal, we become a walking portal for other people. Yes, yes. And we just our presence opens up the possibility for them to heal too. We don't have to preach. We don't have to march with a placard to tell them that they can have this. Just our mere presence opens up a portal of possibility for someone else because we have been there. We have gone through there. And at the core of everything, we are one because everything is energy and you are energy. So therefore you are part of the oneness that is energy. Well, and I'm struck as we're talking, I'm thinking about how we can get so, our ego can get so like sucked in or is caught up in the, that's not mine because we're not thinking about ourselves transpersonally. We're not thinking about ourselves as part of, as all one. So, and instead kind of in that place where we're like, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to acknowledge that as opposed to the willingness to just be like, it's all mine because I am everything. And if I'm, if this is coming up for me and I'm experiencing it, I need to acknowledge it. Yeah. And I mean, that is a level of radical personal responsibility that I will happily hold my hands up to say I am not there yet you know that book that when I read that and and how much willingness Dr. Hugh Len I'm so grateful that there is a human being that was so willing to take so much on I am I am not there to that but he has given me vision for what could be further down the line right and I think you have to take responsibility to the limit that you're able to hold and the energy that you're able to hold am I ready to take responsibility for hearing about a mass merger no and that that's their shit not mine right now in my current level of consciousness but I also understand and I also am open to the idea that there are many more levels of consciousness above the current one that I inhabit. And so it gives me hope that I can hold now, whereas before I could only maybe hold one narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I have learned from Skylar that has been so beneficial is that every level of consciousness comes with its own truth. And Mm. the truth is absolute to that level of consciousness. Mm. But every level of consciousness comes with its truth, right? So before what I would do is if I was on a different level of consciousness to someone, I would argue till I'm blue in the face that I was right and they were wrong. That was the need within me. You know, I needed to prove that their level of consciousness was not right and that there was this other more right way now I can look at that person and depending on where I perceive their level of consciousness to be I can understand that right now that is their absolute truth you know and I can also appreciate that um but I can hold space for their absolute truth whereas before you know, I really believe that I didn't have very much tolerance for somebody else's absolute truth because it was like it was my truth and nothing else. Now I realize that these multiple realities, these multiple truths 
all exist all at once. And so my heart is much larger and much more compassionate to other people. You know, when I was going through the multiple organ failure, I was stony broke. My absolute truth in that moment was there is not enough money. There is scarcity. There isn't enough. Um, and I'm not doing enough and I'm not working hard enough. And, you know, anybody that came along to try to dissuade me from that truth was talking crap because I was so attached to that truth. Now I am no longer so attached to truths. I'm fluid within the within what I'm willing to accept because I know that every level of consciousness comes with its own truth. And while I inhabit a certain level of consciousness, that truth will appear to me as though it is absolute. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that my mind can't be open at the same time as I'm holding an absolute truth for another level of consciousness that also comes with another absolute truth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I understand, and I have so much compassion. I mean, right now there's this big thing going on in the UK of the cost of living crisis; prices are going up. I know a lot of people are holding very tightly, yeah, holding on really hard to the idea and the concept that there is scarcity right now. Yes, and you know, and then I have a bit of a goddamn cheek to go and try and convince them otherwise that the universe is abundant in this that and the next thing my only thing is that I can be a portal for something new Mm -hmm. but I don't need to convince persuade or cajole or push somebody into my opinion I may just only hold the portal open and stand in the doorway of the portal and say right this way if you're not that attached to that reality, and if you really think about that reality and you think that it sucks a little bit and you're really ready to change it, you're radically ready to change your reality. I'm standing in the doorway of a portal and let me be the person that transports you um, into another level of thinking, into another where I'm going to introduce you to new truths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once you're introduced to them, they will become as absolute as maybe the truth once upon a time. So the truth I held once upon a time was the world was out to get me. Life was stacked against me. It was hard. It was difficult. You had to work hard for money. There was struggle. There was hardship. The truth that I hold now is so radically different, which is that the universe is always supporting me. My life is always unfolding in wonderful and new ways. Other truth that I hold is that there is nothing but abundance for us that is us that pinches off our conduit to that abundance and you know it thrills me no end that I can be a portal for that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I know what a massive difference it actually makes because when I held that other truth I mean I would have literally given my back teeth for something that would come along and make that better yeah. But what I had to be the one to lead myself, I had to be the one to lead myself through these portals, through these different, and you know, a lot of them have event horizons. So an event horizon is, I always think of the Stargate, you know, if you ever watch the Stargate mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. series, and they're stepping through that big Stargate, that big water pool, and they're stepping through that wormhole. And, you know, an event horizon, you have to understand that first, the first thing is you're never going to know what's on the other side of the event horizon. And as you're standing on the event horizon, you have got to be prepared to give up who you currently are in order to step through. Uh, in my personal experience, there have been a few times in my life where I have been presented with the opportunity to become somebody different. And where I have needed to be willing to give up my identity and everything that I got from having that identity in order to go forward into that, into the next step. And I think, you know, so often we get like the fear of, you know, the way I call it, and it's actually the the subtitle or the title of the chapter that I just wrote for for our mutual friend Katie's book, co-creating with the divine is letting go of the good to go for the great, because it's like that risk of, and and that pivot. So I just, what you were saying is just ringing so true to me that we have to be willing to go into the unknown and be transformed by that in a way that can be so scary. 
So Joanna, we've got like 10 minutes left on this conversation. And I really want to bring in and talk about the promises and talk about like what, you know, like divine planning, abundant profits, like what, what does life look like now? And because clearly incredible journey. I mean, it's totally radically different. I mean, I used to work so many hours. I had shops. I I mean, I've been an entrepreneur now for nearly coming up 25 years. So I had brick and mortar shops. Um, then I had a brick and mortar cafe. I had a spiritual events pop-up company that did like events all across the UK. And then I had a partnership in a shoe shop. And then, you know, so I've been an entrepreneur for a long, long time. I began coaching people in business in my first year in business because I had a background in marketing. And so I started very early on coaching people and helping others and mentoring people in business. And then I started speaking in schools and things. And so, you know, I've taken all of that experience into the programs that I teach and things. But ultimately what I teach is something that I call unity consciousness. So unity consciousness is you in full alignment and you a source in a body, which equals unity, because there is an aspect of you that is the universe that is source. And then there is an aspect of you that has this physical human body. When the two are in alignment with each other and amalgamated, it creates unity within the being. And that's unity of the self, the soul, your service and source. And that is to really be embodied in your magic. You become magic. You be magic in that moment. And that's your access to your highest magic. So everything that I teach really falls into one of these four pillars. So the self, the soul, service, and source. So the service pillar, I serve my community in the service pillar by teaching them divine planning, abundant profits which does exactly what it says on the tin. It helps you to plan out your super spiritual profitable business and helps you to step into stronger leadership, helps you to look at your business through. One of the biggest problems and issues in, in the online world is a lot of business courses out there. They're very good and they're very excellent, but they don't take in account when you're an empath or when you're highly sensitive and things like that. So there might be marketing tactics that might work for someone who isn't highly sensitive. Right. For somebody who is highly sensitive, it's so going against their ethics, their morals and their core that it just feels icky. And then what happens is that when we feel out of alignment with ourselves, the first thing that we do, our first porter call is to start self-sabotaging like yep. a mofo. Yep. So we got to nip that in the bed. So the one of the things that we teach within Divine Planning Abundant Profits is for you to get aligned with yourself so that you're working from the correct energy for you, not like the correct energy universally, you know, like a one size fits all. There isn't a one size fits all. It's determining what feels right for you and acting from that energy base and then building your business from that weight because there is a strategy for everybody um, in this world. And so it's really learning to build your business that comes from a place of deep alignment within your own self. And we teach people how to not only, and I think, you know, one of the other things that we often do Um, depending on our backgrounds as well but if we are a spiritual person that's come from a corporate background we tend to tar that brush of the corporate world with everything so we're like no we do not want a single thing from that corporate world to come into our little humble beautiful little spiritual business so what we do is we reject things like planning we reject things like organization we reject these tools that are actually you know, there is ways to plan if you're spiritual. There is ways to be if, you know, if you want to step up. So this is one of the things I think within Divine Planning About and Profits is that we teach you how to plan, but in a spiritual way where we're not sucking the fun out of ice cream. We're not planning things to death. We're planning it, allowing the energy to creating energetic footprints for the energy to flow into as opposed to 
rejecting all planning because we're far too spiritual for that and then wondering why we're not getting the results planning works and it works for a reason but we have to find a way that's going to work for us and a way to plan for us so we teach you how to plan in a spiritual way and then we teach you how to really plan for those profits so that you know your numbers you know your figures and one of the things with many spiritual people money doesn't really like beyond our survival money doesn't really turn us on that much mm-hmm. the idea mm-hmm. of helping other people sign us up and especially right. for an empath like the idea of helping others that feels really good yeah so we like to focus in divine planning about in profits on service goals how many people are we open and available for serving but if we've done our numbers right what happens is that if we know how many people that we are open and available to serving and we hit those goals within our business, those service goals, the money takes care of itself. Right. We also make our targets. And in that way, it's a way that we can plan in a spiritual way, but working with what actually jazzes us as opposed to just accumulating money. Because yes. Most people that are in my world have an exceptionally strong call to helping others. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and I find, you know, when I first started to, uh, you know, dip my foot into the um, business coaching world and getting some support and everything, I found the idea of setting a financial goal absolutely like random and arbitrary for me. And it was sort of like, until I got the big why, like I had to tie the money into why I needed it. And it was all about what will this do for the world? And why do I need to make this money? Because without it is like, as long as my basic needs were getting met and like, you know, like I'm not scrambling for bills or anything, there wasn't necessarily like this really strong, like, like, I mean, there are people who are motivated just by like, oh my God, I want to like, like 10X my income this month. Or I want to like, my goal is like, I want to make high six figures this year. And that's enough. But I think you're so right. For empaths, it's like often that just feels so random. And so like, why does that matter? Like, why does that matter to me? It's just money. It's, you know, you can't take it with you. So I love that you really are talking about service. Um, Joanna. I could talk to you forever. Like I could just, you know, and obviously you and I have had many, 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 many conversations. We have. We have. We've got like a couple minutes left right now because I really, you know, I want to honor your time and honor our audience's time as well. What is the one most important thing that you want to be absolutely sure that people hear that just feels like it's just crucial? that you say it, you'll be kicking yourself if you don't. I think, you know, one of the the keys is in life is that nothing is permanent. You know, nothing is permanent and everything is available for change. And if you are suffering, if there is something that is difficult, if there is a challenge, if you can just be open, you don't need to know how to change that thing. Just be open to that the possibility exists the universe will find a way to deliver an agent to you that will show you the way. And I think that's been one of the biggest things for me is just, you know, before I was so attached to my reality, I thought this is just the way it is. You have to work hard for money. Life is a struggle. Life is out to get you. People are mean, all of these things, you know, and I held on very tightly. As soon as I started to challenge those beliefs and just was open these new ways were found, you know, they found me, I didn't need to necessarily always go out looking for them. They found me. And in fact, I I tell the story of like, how the law of attraction literally felt like it was stalking me for weeks. And people kept offering to buy me these law of attraction books. And I'm like, no, thank you. (laughs) You know, and, and in the end, I gave in. And of course, It was a tool that ended up changing my life. But, you know, the way will find you. All you have to be is open to the way. And that's it. And so wherever you are right now, and I know that a lot of people are going to be very, very worried about this cost of living crisis. The number one thing that you can do is to bet on yourself and to invest in yourself. 
because that is going to be the game changer. There isn't a savior coming. You are the game changer. You are the person that will be rescuing you. You are the person that is big enough, good enough, and has everything that you need in order to make the changes that you desire, that your soul is crying for. All of that is already within you. It's just you being open to it. And as soon as we're open to it, the way is found. Teachers start turning up for you. Um, tidbits of information land in the most random ways. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, where did that come from? But it just starts to become like little puzzle pieces. And before you know it, you end up with this new picture of your life. And that's how I went from literally living on welfare to building a seven-figure business in seven years living in literally what is my dream home, driving a luxury high-end vehicle. And, you know, I have so much gratitude for where I am today and knowing that I'm helping my clients to create their dreams and live their dreams out loud. I mean, it's such a, a powerful purpose that I have and I'm so grateful for it. But I also know that within this purpose, I'm not actually special in that is that it's open to everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that thrills me the most, you know, I didn't need any special hidden talents, I didn't need a doctorate in anything like I did not need these things. It's open to everybody. And I think that's what's so powerful. And it is already all within you. It's just are you willing to step up to the plate and invest in yourself? Mm, it is already within you. Are you willing to step up to the plate and invest, your, invest in yourself? Joanna, this conversation has been so incredibly rich. I could talk with, like I said, I could talk with you for hours. <laughs> I have. Thank you so much for your generosity, for your time, for just sharing all of the truth that you have with us. One final question. It's a simple one. How can people get in touch with you? They can find me at joannahunter.com or joannahunter.com um, on all social media channels. So I'm super simple to find. Come and say hi on my social media channels and let me know if you listen to this podcast and tell me how you met Jennifer. That would be awesome. Yes, absolutely. And guys, it will be also in the show notes and my personal affiliate link for Divine Planning Abundant Profits will also be in there if you feel called to come join us and invest in yourself to create the future that you really want to live. Again, Joanna, oh, thank beautiful. you so much. This was so good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm, my pleasure. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.